Our verses are brief, our text is brief tonight, but I can't imagine a more helpful text for just practical life and the relationships that we have. Our text this evening, you have down in your uh, service order booklet, is Ephesians 6, 8, and 9, okay? At least I can read my notes (laughs) so far. All right. Our text this evening starts actually mid-sentence. It starts actually on the other side of the whiteboard. This is the final sentence here. Starts mid-sentence, and and in the middle of that sentence, it actually overlaps with what Stephen Mansfield covered a couple weeks ago. Um, But verse 9, which is on the board right here, is new material for us. However, to make sense of it, we have to recognize that it's tied to the information in the preceding verses. In fact, since it's kind of tough to start just in the middle of a sentence, um, we need to kind of have that backdrop before we look at our text for tonight. Uh, We're going to start all the way back in verse 5. You know, if we had longer time in the evenings, we probably would have done all five to nine in one, in one shot, but we're, we're breaking these up into bite-sized pieces, and um, that's why we're doing it this way tonight. So, starting back in verse 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, in other words, not, when, not just when somebody's looking, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. So, masters, do the same to the bondservants, your bondservants, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven." and that there is no partiality with him. Well, a bondservant was a slave, and much of the population of the Roman Empire uh, were slaves. It's estimated there were some 60 million of them in the empire when the world population was much smaller than ours is now. Um, They constituted the major workforce of the empire. In other words, the whole way society worked would, would not function apart from these many, many um, millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. So, slavery was necessary and was commonly accepted as part of the whole economic system. Nobody imagined that it could be any different. It was just the way that things were and had been for centuries. Well, many slaves were domestic household workers. Uh, others were manual laborers that worked in the field. And uh, slavery was not confined to some particular ethnicity or minority group. Sometimes we think about it as a racial thing uh, because of our history in America. But in in ancient Rome, it was not a racial thing. There are people from all kinds of people groups that were slaves. They could come from many different nations. Many of them were highly educated. They were lawyers and doctors and teachers. In fact, uh, often a, a wealthy master would hire slaves to teach his children uh, all the things that they needed to know. Some were slaves through war. Others had sold themselves as slaves to pay off debt, like an indentured servant, uh, almost an employee status. 
except that the bondservant was housed and clothed and fed on the master's estate. They could be inherited, and they could be purchased. That said, while we might want to say, well, slavery maybe wasn't quite so bad in the Roman Empire, uh, remember that hundreds of years earlier, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, defined a slave as a living tool. And that same low view of slaves continued, even though the way the whole thing worked looked very different, perhaps, from what we are more familiar with. Well, since the gospel of Christ reached all people groups, the first century church, like if we were to transport our church back into that first century, the first century church included freemen and slaves, masters and their bondservants. And the question then was how their faith in Christ should impact their relationships as brothers in Christ. So there are slaves and masters in the same local church. How do you treat each other? How do you let what's true about your relationship to Christ and to one another through Christ affect how you carry out your responsibility as a master or as a slave? Well, we've seen already in Ephesians that the gospel transforms relationships, whether it's husbands to wives, wives to husbands, uh, children and their parents, or in this case, master and slave. One of the results of the Holy Spirit's taking control of us, filling us, is that we live, according to Ephesians 5.21, submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. We are putting ourselves under the needs of other people, and we are serving them. And we don't consider that a threat. We serve one another in love. Well, we would expect that the way masters treated slaves and the way that slaves treated masters would be very different in a society that functioned that way because of the huge difference in their status. And even today, we tend to think, well, if somebody's really important, really powerful, really wealthy, has a high position of authority, then the way he treats people that have a much lower position or much less wealth, we expect that to be different than the way they would treat him, okay? But their relationship in Christ, masters and slaves, who is Lord of both Christian masters and Christian slaves, governed how they treated one another. He's the heavenly master. He is the boss of the universe, and both of them answer to him, just like older siblings answer to mom and dad, just as much as younger siblings answer to mom and dad. Well, principles like what Paul articulates here, what we're going to study tonight, serve to remove much of the sting from life as a slave. A lot of the mistreatment that, that people might suffer if their master was actually a believer. And in time, it led to the abolition of slavery in many regions of the world where the gospel traveled. But let's talk about three characteristics that we find um, here in this text in verse 9 that, that is really is applied to masters, but it should also be true of slaves. And that is respectful behavior, faithful service, and righteous reward. And I want you to see where we're getting this. The respectful 
the respectful behavior is right here. This is actually a surprising phrase, do the same to them. You would, you would say, okay, here's the job description of the slaves. Okay, now masters do the same to them. At, at first, that doesn't quite compute, and we need to, we need to see, you know, what that means. So you have, I'm just going to put an R here for uh, respectful uh, behavior. And stop your threatening is the opposite of doing the same, the respectful behavior. And then knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, um, and that there's no partiality with them. The second thing that we're going to see is a, a need for faithfulness, faithfulness in the service that we render. And then finally, there is the concept, our second R, of reward. There's no partiality with him. We're going to drop back into the previous verse to see exactly what's going on there. So, respectful behavior, faithful service, and then the result of that is a righteous reward, a reward that is just without partiality. So, first, let's, let's talk about this respectful behavior. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Now, how is it possible if you've got a master and you've got a slave for a, a master to treat a slave like the slave treats the master. I mean, at first glance, that seems like backward. I mean, how, how is that possible, contradictory? But remember, we want to remember how Paul has commanded bond slaves to treat their masters. They've been commanded, whatever they do, they are to do it for Christ. Okay? So, here's the first thing. This this doing the same, they're working for Christ. They are treating their master as, as if they were serving Christ himself. And so, the master now is treating his slave as he would treat Christ. And whatever they are to do for Christ, um, whatever they do, they're to do it for Christ, not just for their earthly masters. Well, whatever the masters do, they're supposed to do it as to Christ. Sometimes we think that if a person's in charge, he doesn't answer to anybody. The, the reality is he, st- he answers to the Lord, but he also has responsibility toward those over whom he has uh, management responsibility. So, a person who has a high position doesn't have less responsibility, he actually has more, okay? The more people that you are leading or managing, the more people you're to treat the right way, okay? So, a dad in the family or mom in the family, just because they're in charge doesn't mean they can do anything they, they want. Well, I'm in charge here, so I can do what I want. No. I, I answer to God for it, and I also am supposed to treat those that are under my care uh, in the same way that they're to treat me. Slaves are to serve not as people pleasers, but from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord. So, it's for Christ. It's also um, from the heart, and it's also with goodwill. They're supposed to, to, to treat them in a way that's beneficial to them. So, it's not just that the slaves exist for the benefit of the master, but the master exists for the benefit of the slaves. And we understand this. You know, a good employer, a good employer um, treats his employees well. 
He, he looks out for their benefit. If you're a manager or a leader, you're looking for those that you lead, and you're saying, okay, how can I help them thrive? How can I help them uh, prosper? How can I help them be better people? And masters were to be the same way. We're, you know, how we treat other human beings made in God's image shows what we think of God himself, whatever their age or whatever their status you know, everybody that we're interacting with, we, you know, we might think, oh, I'm more educated than that person, or I've got more money than that person, or I've had more opportunity than that person, or I have more clout at work than that person, but I still need to treat them as those made in the image of God, and I still want to treat them in a way that actually benefits them. Whoever I interact with, and especially those that I have some level of authority over, because 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 they're supposed to be submitted to me, then their welfare, their benefit is somewhat dependent on how I treat them. And so I want to make sure I'm treating them really well. Titus 3 teaches us that part of the result of the gospel in our lives where God treated us far better than we deserve is that we speak evil of no one. And we show perfect courtesy toward all people, even people that are hateful to us. You realize that this kind of behavior we can display not only in the workplace, we can display it in social media, we can display it, you know, in the grocery store, wherever we go, we ought to be people that are looking out for other people because we are doing it for Christ. We're doing it from the heart. We're not just faking it. And we are doing it with goodwill toward people. And the opposite of that is threatening. He says, stop your threatening. Let up on it. Um, He's like saying, chill, relax. Stop being so uptight about, so, you know, threatened leaders tend to threaten others, okay? And, And so, don't be that way toward people. Relax that um, threatening. Threatening is really the opposite of respectful treatment. The threat of punishment and the use of punishment in the ancient world was seen as the way to keep slaves under control. Like, if you don't, if you don't come down on them, they're going to rise up. They're not going to do what they're supposed to do. And so, it's considered, uh, you know, if you're soft on them, if you're kind to them instead of, instead of threatening them, then, then they're going to become out of control. Well, Paul says no. Because human relationships don't thrive on threats. Threats show lack of relationship. You know, when your kids are really little, it's, it's the fear of pain and punishment that helps them do right. But as you train them, as you bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, more and more their desire should be, out of love for you and respect for you, they want to do the right thing. They, they value the relationship, and the maturity that happens um, means that you're not having to threaten everybody. Well, if you, don't, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'll have to, you know, suspend your driving privileges and all that. You know, if, if your mom and dad are having to do that, Chances are you're not thinking about serving Jesus, okay? Don't force them into the threatening. And mom and dad, you know, don't let threat be your first line of defense. Don't build the relationship. Uh, Treat them well. Make it, you know, everybody's motivated. You know, none of us do things that we think are going to harm us 
and, and make life worth for us. We don't go, oh, you know what? I would just love to be miserable, so that's why I'm choosing. No, we do what we think is going to make us happier. Well, parents, as we train up our kids, what, what we want to be doing is saying, look, I want to open up to you the best possible life there is. And managers, as you manage your employees, you want to say, hey, I want you to thrive. I want this. You, 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 we need to change how we're doing this because it's going to end up backfiring on you. You need, you need to grow in this. And if you have that kind of interest in the welfare of people, you get far better service. You know, employees that you treat well, that, that you show respect to, that, and the contribution that they're making tend to serve better, okay? Rather than those that are afraid if, if they don't dot every I and cross every T, you know, they're going to be getting the pink slip and they're going to be when he fired and they're walking around in fear, oh no, I'm going to get nailed today. Instead of, I love doing my work and I know, I know that it's the right thing and that it's beneficial and that it's a positive thing. Certainly there are times when consequences for bad behavior have to fall on whoever does wrong, but masters are not to mistreat their slaves with threats of harm. Instead, they were supposed to model the behavior that they expected from those who served in their household because they too answer to the heavenly master. So, respectful behavior. How do you treat those over you and under you in the workplace. You know, sometimes people kind of kind of try to ingratiate themselves to to the boss, like they're always brown-nosing, they're always, you know, doing things just so the boss will show them favor, but then they treat those under them with contempt. Okay? That's not godliness. Godliness because you're serving God is going to treat those over you and those under you with great respect. And what needs to change so that how you treat others shows you are serving Christ when you interact with them? Now, we started with a not just for kids, and let me give this admonition to uh, the kids, particularly the younger kids, okay? Um, I know that you're the younger kid. I know that you maybe think of your oldest siblings as, you know, they could, like, punch your lights out if you, you know, they're they're bigger, they could put the hurt on you, and mom and dad's put them in charge. How about this? How about you treat them the way, treat your older siblings the way you know Jesus would want you to treat them? How about you treated them with kindness? How about you made it, instead of making it difficult when mom and dad are out of the house and they put your older siblings in charge, you made it easy so that when they, mom and dad come back and go, well, how did it go? I said, man, I can't believe how, how I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I started to use a name, but I'm afraid I'll use one of yours. Um, maybe uh, Rumpelstiltskin got saved, you know, um, because he's, he's sure behaving. Uh, it, she used to always give me mouth when she didn't want to do it, and now she's just like sweet as can be. I don't know what's got into her. Well, maybe what's got into her is that she's actually serving Jesus. You know, you, you, there's no age limit on serving Jesus. You can serve Jesus when you're three and four and five years old. Go for it. Might as well get used to it. It's the, he's the best boss there is. He's a heavenly master. And then you older siblings don't think that, oh, well, now, now I'm a teenager and I've, I've got this big body and I'm grown up and so you're like, you know, don't tell me what to do, 
and don't buck me because I'm big now. I'm an adult, and so treat me like one, okay? Don't waste your time with all that kind of attitude. Just do the right thing. Just serve Jesus. Do the right thing. Do the right thing toward your folks. Do the right thing toward your siblings. Do the right thing in your job. Don't be one of these entitlement people that just goes, well, because I had another birthday, you should treat me like a king. Really? Okay? It just looks silly. Okay? And later, when you're looking back, you'll say, man, that was really silly. And, you know, we're allowed to be silly a little bit while we're growing up. But, but, but let's make sure we're treating others. What needs to change so that how you treat others shows you're serving Christ? when you interact with them. It would really solve so many problems in, in all our relationships, um, both at home and at work. Now, second, second um, principle here in the middle part of verse 9, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Okay, you're supposed to be this way and, and always this way because of the boss that you serve. The masters were to be faithful in their work just as they expected their slaves to be faithful in theirs. Their slaves were supposed to do certain things because their masters had required it of them. Well, the masters are supposed to do certain things because their master has required it of them. Now, slaves had no rights in the Roman Empire, but God ruled over the empire and the universe itself. And God holds people accountable no matter what their political or economic status is. And by the way, that's why we don't have to fret ourselves to death about people in positions of power that do bad things because no one gets away with bad behavior. Might does not make right. Some people do wrong to others simply because they can, but they will answer to God. He sees, he hears, he knows, and he will deal with it. You bully and mistreat people just because you rank higher than they do, and you will answer for it because the boss of the universe, God himself, will see to it. This is, this is really important. I've, I've watched over the years, you know, husbands or fathers behave in a way where I think they must think God just died or something. They, they think they can get away with it when the door is closed. And, and then they, they threaten their wife or their kids, don't you dare tell anybody else. Well, God already knows. He is going to deal with you whether any human being finds out or not. Nobody gets away with anything. We've got to render faithful service. So we want to be faithful in what God has given us to do, not just when people are watching, but knowing that God is always watching and knowing that whatever work we've been given to do and whatever position we've been given, we're doing it for God and not to men. So in what ways is your treatment of others characterized by faithfulness that Christ deserves? Like if you looked at how you fulfilled your responsibilities, a lot of you are in school. If you looked at, at your faithfulness in getting your schoolwork done or you're living at home, your faithfulness in helping out at home, cleaning up your room, picking up your dirty socks, taking out the trash, all the kinds of things that have to happen. Are you faithful in, in the realm that God has given you to manage. Because if you're thinking about serving Christ and you're a believer, that should definitely motivate that faithfulness. And what about your work? 
shows unfaithfulness because that's the place that it needs to change. So all of us can get lazy. All of us can, you know, none of us do things perfectly, but in terms of of how we work and what motivates us, if we're motivated by serving Christ, then not only are we going to show respect for one another, but we're going to be faithful with the role that God has given to us. So in this ancient world, in that economy of things, you know, a lot of masters had no more choice in their position than the slaves had in theirs. They had a role to fulfill, a faithfulness to carry out to the Lord. How they did it, not what it was, was the important thing, and it needed to be faithful. And then finally, there is a righteous reward. You're remembering that there is no partiality with him. God is not impressed with your job title or your family wealth or with how many people you have say over. He rules over the universe, including you. You can't bribe him. He already owns everything. I mean, what are you going to give to God that isn't already his? So, understanding that all of us answer to him. So, in Ephesians 6, 8, the verse that was before this, this actually deals with the concept knowing that whatever good anyone does, masters or slaves, he will receive back from the Lord. So there's a payoff. There are wages paid. You know, I thought about not just for kids bringing money for, you know, paying off for what we do, but I learned in previous not just for kids not to bring money. It just gets people too excited. Okay, so receive. The Lord is going to pay us whether, whether we are a bondservant or whether we're free. Now, I want you to think about this. A stingy master. That's a, that's, let's see how far it goes. It's like bowling. Looks like the cup was empty, though, so you're good, right? Do you want me to get it, or are you okay with leaving it there for now? Okay, we'll leave it there for now. Sound effects and everything. Um, A stingy master is an evil master. A good master, like a good boss or employer, loves to reward work well done. Jesus Christ is a good master. He is not stingy. His reward goes beyond what we can ever earn. Think about the payoff. Think about the reward that Christ gives to his people. Who could ever earn a residence in the heavenly city, the capital of the universe, living among saints and angels before the throne of God? I mean, pick your city and all the planet, pick the most posh part you could pick, and it's not going to measure up to that. And yet, this is our home, and our names are on the city registry. Who could ever build up enough merit to gain access to the new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells, where there is no sorrow or sin or pain or death? Who could purchase immortality? Think about how much people pay to doctors to get well. Who could purchase immortality 
or work their way to sinlessness. I mean, these are gifts so valuable that nobody can afford to pay for them. It really, it took the blood of Jesus. It took, you know, God himself taking on human form and pouring out his life. The life of God was the payment for us to have this kind of life given to us. And Christ frequently talks about rewarding his servants. Who can forget the words in one of his parables? Well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter down to the joy of your Lord. Or, or you know, and, and you look at the way Christ talks and the way the apostles talk as well. God intends his reward to be motivational to us. Don't, don't get overly spiritual here. You know, like, well, you know, I really shouldn't be working for reward from God because, you know, well, that's not really working. Come on. God promised reward for a reason. He, he promises reward. He intends his reward to be motivational to us, especially when we encounter mistreatment and hardship for the sake of the gospel. He wants us to know that whatever we're bearing here is not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us, with the good that he's going to shower on us. This is very motivational. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed or happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. Why would you rejoice and be glad? Because you enjoy pain inflicted on you? Like you're some kind of, this is a big word, okay? This is a big word only for the, this is the not for kids. A masochist? You're a masochist? Like you like, you, you get pleasure out of pain? That's, that's not the deal here. He says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. The heavenly city, the, the boss of the universe is going to pay you richly, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. Put yourself in a class of people that are highly regarded by God and highly rewarded by God. So Paul can write from house arrest in Rome, in his letter to the Colossians, similar words to what he writes to the Ephesian believers. Think about this. Paul, Paul's a free man, but he is in house arrest. He, his status right now is actually worse than a slave. He can't go anywhere. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And yet he's still serving Jesus. And he says this to the believers in Colossae and particularly those that were serving as slaves. Whatever you do, work heartily. Work with full soul as for the Lord and not for men, knowing, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So not just a piddly 10 bucks an hour or 100 bucks an hour or 1,000 bucks an hour. New heaven, new earth. Sinlessness, immortality, a, a, an inheritance that only Jesus deserves, and yet he's including us in it. We are joint heirs with him. You are serving the Lord Christ. And then remember this, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done. There's no partiality. So, so, so God is giving a righteous reward. He's lavishly giving reward to his servants. And he is faithfully dealing justice to those who do wrong. And it doesn't matter what your status, you're going to answer for that. No servant of Christ, master or slave will go unrewarded, nor will Christ fail to deal with wrongdoing. Both master and slave answer to Jesus. He holds both accountable, and he rewards both righteously.
So, as you think about going from here this week, let the thought that Christ unfailingly rewards His servants motivate how you carry out your responsibilities well, whatever they might be. So, I want you to think about it. You might be five years old. What are the responsibilities that God has given to you through the people that have authority over you? You know, brushing your teeth, cleaning your room, going to bed when you're supposed to go to bed, getting up when you're supposed to get up. Um, all, the, all the kinds of things that maybe mom and dad have stars on a chart for, okay? Let your motivation be bigger than that. Do it for Jesus. Do right for Jesus' sake. What, what, whatever you're being paid, wherever you're working, whatever your responsibility let the thought that Christ unfailingly rewards his servants help you do what you ought to do. And stop worrying that you're not getting paid what you're worth. You know, just like, just like nobody gets away with anything, Jesus will not be in debt to you. He has full capability and he has full knowledge of what you have rendered to him. And, you know, most of the time, people don't really know how faithfully we work. Sometimes they think we're more faithful than we are. Sometimes they think we're less faithful than we are. Jesus knows exactly what we are and exactly what we're doing. And Jesus will reward it. He is not stingy. You're going to actually reign with him. You have an inheritance with him, a future that is so amazing that it's hard to get your head around it. Jesus will treat you well. Well, our workplace culture is quite different in many ways from the way things worked in the Roman Empire, but these principles remain in force today. Whatever your status, whatever your job, whatever your relationships, we all have a heavenly master, and that fact calls for respectful behavior and faithful service, for we know Christ will give a righteous reward. Heavenly master, I'd like to tell people I love working for the boss of the universe. He's a really, really good employer. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and I pray God, you'd help us serve in whatever role you've given us to serve. Help us serve faithfully because we're doing it as to you from the heart and for the benefit of others, knowing that you hold us accountable, that you don't exercise partiality, that whoever we are, we're going to answer to you, and knowing, God, that you reward richly those who serve you. Lord, we thank you for loving us that way. We thank you for, for giving us a life that is a life of labor for you. That um, reminds us of the Genesis 1 with your giving humanity a job to do and the creation mandate. And God, we, we find it a pleasure and a joy to serve you, even as we have to work through the troubles that the curse of sin has brought in our world, we, we are so very grateful that we can serve you, knowing that we serve the best master possible, a heavenly master. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.